0: Welcome to Arrest All Mimics. the Mix. My name is Ben Talent. This is the Original Thinking Creative Innovation Podcast. I don't have a crystal ball right now, but if I could see it into the future, like you guys are in the future who are listening to this, I'm pretty sure we've got a new Prime Minister, so I don't know what's going down. Uh, I'm not going to get political, but I hope you went out and cast your vote and used your power. Shame on you if you didn't. Um, so there you go, yeah, that's as political as I'm going to get on this show, but just go and do the right thing, I'm sure you all did, I hope so, uh, enough of that, the weather is dismal, I'm going to keep it down to earth this week, it's bloody terrible out there, It's there's trees on the line, it's all going off Tuesday as I record this, there's been more horrible events at the weekend in London, it's not conducive to a good mood but i'm keeping things upbeat with creativity and innovation and original thinking which is what this show is all about so thanks for checking in again guys i hope you're all well um i hope you're feeling creative fired up getting through the bleak times coming together being sensible about everything um yeah well here we are episode 75 how did it come to this Thanks to anyone who's listened to the show, who's supported it, who's shared a link, who's told a friend, who's mentioned it in passing, who's thanked me for doing it. It's all very special, wonderful and hugely appreciated. Just back from a fantastic trip to Hartlepool for the Festival of Illustration up there, which is amazing. A collaboration between the university and uh, the council who are supporting it, which is really refreshing and cool to see. And it's bringing a nice aspect of community together up there so I was part of a discussion panel with the Association of Illustrators uh, with Sandra Diekman and Derek Brazel. it was absolutely brilliant, we talked self-promotion and we had a really strong turnout so thanks to anyone who came to that or saw it on the stream uh, loads of fantastic talent going on up there, Ridley Scott original storyboards on the wall uh, and loads of new talent, a fantastic bunch of hungry students coming and talking and coming to the pub with us afterwards uh, great, great stuff going on, Um and then it was on to Manchester, working on a photo shoot, which we'll get more into that later, because starting a bit of a collaboration with Danny Ellison, uh, where we're working with more with art direction and creative direction. And we've got a rather odd name for the company, which you will hear me run past today's guest, Sir John Hegarty, one of the greatest minds in advertising history. So he gives a fantastic response, which I wasn't actually expecting. So we'll get to that a little later and talk a little bit more about John. But first, my fantastic sponsors who keep the show free for you guys every week. Illustrationweb.com, my agency, representing over 200 people right across the industry from mural art to fashion illustration to lettering to conceptual illustration to editorial work, advertising design, new media. It's all going on. Go and check them out. Illustrationweb.com. They're brilliant, they've supported the show from day one. Um, they were the first people who mentioned Sir John Hegarty as a potential guest and they helped me make that happen. So thank you, Harriet and Alice from the agency, for making it happen and giving me one of the most inspiring conversations I've ever had. And I'm sure that I ever will have. You've got that coming up soon on this podcast. Rest all at internet.co.uk, my tech and digital sponsor. So these guys look out for all the things you need to know about. So where you are on Google, how you can get better and be seen more by the clients you want to work with. They deal with SEO, social media. There's tons of advice out there on their social channels, on their YouTube channel. Go and have a look and soak it all up. Today's tip on that basis then. So this conversation with Sir John Hegarty, this is a man whose career has spanned decades, from the 60s right up until now. And he's still got his finger in the pie at BBH, uh, Battle Bogle Hegarty. His fantastic ad agency have swept the, the awards board over the years consistently time and time again. Um, and we touched upon tech, and he laughed about people who said back in the day to him that television would be dead within like 10 years when the internet first broke out in the mainstream in the late 90s. Um, And he went on to make a point, which you'll hear in great depth later on, that tech is useless if you don't have the creativity to support it and to use it effectively couldn't have made a better point it's so true uh, without the creativity the tech we have today would not be here so it's hard to argue with the man so that's my tip today really think about the message underneath it the creativity the originality and use the tech to really facilitate and maximize that with what you're trying to do so there you go that's courtesy of UK. Last but certainly not least, Printed.com, my printer for the show, my personal printer, providing over 90 different products, um, services, uh, you know, finishes, laminates, they've got uh, embossing, foiling, uh, great recycled stock, all stuff going on, so go and talk to them. Fantastic customer service and team, and they really do a great job of pushing this show and supporting us uh, and what the wider industry. They're always sharing new work on the blogs from illustrators, artists, designers, Really really great people, I wouldn't have anyone supporting the show who didn't believe in what I'm doing and what I hope you guys are trying to do with creativity, so without further ado, let's talk a little bit more about today's guest, Um, Sir John Hegarty, he's my first knighthood, how's that, how good is that? (laughs) Um, So I was delighted, I was honoured when I found out that he was happy to have me in for an hour, so I headed up to the garage Soho in London, his current uh, project that he is part of, supporting new creative businesses, Uh, it's, it's exciting times, we talk about where we find the industry today Talk about how I didn't find there was enough risk in the industry. There's not enough punk aesthetic going on out there, people willing to challenge their clients, break the rules a little bit and work with them to come up with more innovative solutions. Um, So we get into all that good stuff. So for anyone under the illusion that this episode is going to be about advertising, it's absolutely not. Of course, John touches and and references his sterling and, frankly, uh, arguably unrivaled career in the game. Uh, but the underpinning message is our mutual love of creativity, and we really try to strip back what is creativity. It's a big question, but using John's amazing career, we're going to look at what the foundations of creativity are. He's going to touch on what he feels is the greatest art form. Um, I'm going to run the name of my new collaborative project with Danny Allison past him. It's a rather questionable name, but we love it, and we're trying to do something really different with our collaboration, going into art direction and creative direction, so I mustered up the courage to run that past John Hegarty, and we'll see what he's got to say about it later, but it's amazing. I mean, one of the quotes that I read in Hegarty on Advertising, one of John's books recently, which I recommend to anyone, you can pick that up at the House of Illustration, where you can also find my own book, Champagne and Wax Crayons. Uh, cheap plug there. Apologies. Got to be done. But in the book, there's a comment from John that says, do, in, in, do interesting things, and interesting things happen to you. This is something I've learned through experience over the, you know, the last past few years in the way that I've tried to push myself outside of just illustration and work and collaborate with so many different people and pursue all these fascinating ideas that I get. And there's times for, yes, yeah, sure. There's times when I think I'm going too far by taking this in joke into a project. And there are many things that have failed and not worked, but I will always try and book my own trends. I will always challenge myself because you're the only person you should be competing against. It's no good looking around and thinking that person's better than me or oh, that's a bag of shit. You can't win. Um, Negative attracts negative, positive attracts positive, so focus on the enjoyment of your own practice and really push on. I'm a huge believer of that, so to get the chance to sit down with Sir John Hegarty and pick his brains about the essence of creativity and how that's proven through his own sterling career was a real thrill, and I came away from this conversation completely buzzing, Um, absolutely... To to have what I believe after nine years in this industry validated by someone who's been in it for fifty odd, wow, that's a compliment. That's a huge um boost to me and a boost in what I'm trying to do with this show and my own work. Um just to remind ourselves, John is one of the most awarded and respected ad men that's ever lived, um, since the advert, you know, the advent of commercial advertising as we know it. He talks about why persuasion is not wrong and how it has to be done with an integrity and morality um, and the love of the craft, why creativity underpins everything, why he never even intended to run an agency or go as far as he did in the industry. It was just simply fun and creative exploration. So we are going to talk about the creative added industry, but most important of all, we're going to talk about creativity. We're going to address the situation, where we find creativity in today in respect to the government and people's perception of it, why the future is most certainly creative regardless. Um... And how irreverence is a massive proponent and how kicking back, how challenging the norm, how laughing at things that are generally taken seriously is absolutely crucial to underpinning any innovative work. So like I said, go and check out his book, Hegedy on Advertising. It's called, The subheader is Turning Intelligence into Magic, and it's absolutely amazing. John was a pioneer of music and advertising. I believe his agency lay claim to nine number one hits through the, the songs used in their music. That's mind-blowing stuff. He was the man behind the classic Levi ad campaigns from the from the 90s. He was Mr. Flat Eric. Remember that yellow puppet in the car? Yep, that was John Hegarty's work. Um, Mr. Vorsprung-Dirk's technique. I think I might have said that right. Definitely without the accents. Do forgive me. <laughs> but... There you have it. I don't know what else I can say. Uh, I was told that this man is very charming. I can back that up. He's incredible. He's a phenomenon. But most importantly of all, we sat back and we just talked solid for an hour over a brew. And I found myself very much agreeing with everything that John said. Um, it's it's a joy for me. Uh, doing this show, I've been constantly inspired by my guests. Uh, people who are still at uni, people are just out of uni, and then people like Sir John Hegarty who's been in the game 50 years. It really doesn't matter. It's not about experience. It's not about the time. It's not about accolades and achievements. It's about working because you're passionate and you want to create and you want to inspire. If you don't have that and you don't have the love, uh, people read that and it really comes across. So John will also talk about that today. So I've banged on quite long enough. Thank you so much to my sponsors. Um, illustration Limited, Printed.com. Thank you to the Association of Illustrators for the ongoing support. Go and take a look at everything they're doing, which is a lot of talks, promotional events, portfolio reviews all around the country. We've got the award announcements coming up very, very soon. Um, and get me your feedback, please, on the Twitter. I really want to hear what you make of Sir John Hegerty, especially if you're a young person coming into the industry and you maybe didn't know who the guy was. I really hope this inspires you just as much as people who do know who John is, because it isn't about the name behind it, it's about the mind and the soul behind it, and he's one of the greatest that I've met, simple as that. Huge inspiration, thank you. Get me your thoughts on the Twitter, at Arrest Hello at bentallon.com if you want to go more private. Please do spread the love, share the word, and enjoy this inspiring conversation, Sir John Hegarty. Yeah, so where are you, where are you from originally?
1: Uh, I was born in London. Yeah. Um, a London boy, North London, um, my dad was irish he uh, He came to this country in sort of like nineteen just before the war met my mum here and they married him mm. so I was born here uh,
0: yeah instead
1: indeed actually kind of, it's, it's, it sounds terrible in a way doesn 't it if you 've got go, you come to you 're born in london there's not a lot of reason to go you know because it, it so much actually happens here I did spend um Two and a half years in New York, when we opened BBH in New York, which was great fun. I love that. That was fantastic. But I knew I couldn't stay. I mean, the the, the brief was basically go over, set the agency up, get it established, and then leave it to the people we had hired to to run it. And you don't really want founders hanging about, telling them what to do and what not to do. So Mm -hmm. I stayed longer than I anticipated. But... um, Kinds of reasons, but thoroughly enjoyed it. I got there and um, we opened just at the end of, I, I sort of say we started really in 99, the beginning of 99. And I, I flew from London to New York in Jan, early January 99, and it was like getting on a kind of time machine because I, you know, London then, you know, the whole internet, what was going to happen was being talked about. I land in New York seven hours later, and it's as though I've accelerated two years into the future. Literally, everything was .dot com. Dot wow. com. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You couldn't have a conversation without saying "digital" in the first thirty seconds. You know, it was it was unbelievable, and there was this explosion of kind of so called opportunity and what the uh, what the internet was going to do and how it was going to transform everything and blah blah blah. And of course it all came horribly crashing down as it uh, as it was oversold but then you know latter is obviously mm. obviously can't come back but it was it was very interesting fabulous time to be working in New York I mean it was sort of I mean <laughs> never known before you know people beating our doors down to get us to work on their new dot com business and they were throwing money around like it's no tomorrow yeah um, but fortunately we were rightfully suspect suspect of quite a number of the ideas and didn't want to get involved. Um, and of course when it came crashing down it took a lot of yeah. young agencies with them.
0: Why was that? Did it strike you as a fact? Well because
1: or... I, I think the agencies were all staffed on the basis that all these companies were coming in, they were growing, there was and then I mean when the plug, when it collapsed, I mean it was, literally was overnight, there was blood mm. on the streets. And, and you know, literally, people were walking wounded. Just sort of, and, and I think it, it destabilised a lot of companies, and they, and they mm. just withdrew from uh, the market. Yeah. So, a really tough time. Mm. You know, uh, it wasn't a slow decline in any way at all. I've always had that view of things: that go up fast, come down fast. You know, there's a sort of fundamentalist kind of attitude to that. Uh, and, I, and I think having, you know, one of the, one of the things that have yeah. been. Uh, having been around for so long, you you get to have seen so many different things. You know, great phrases at that time was, hey, we're working on internet time, and, you know, (laughs) you don't get it, and this is the new new, and phrases like that, and you're thinking, oh, I really do get it. (laughs) And, no, this isn't the new new, and, you know, certain things will apply, you know. Like, you know, what is the idea? Do people want it? Can we make people want it? Yes. Um, all of those sort of simple questions that perhaps you should be asking were, were not being asked. But as I said, even so, it was still great fun. Max, yes. Max. And, it,
0: and it, never, it doesn't change the core of creativity, does it? That's the thing. The tools change what the, the mindset. Yeah, immense, you know. Um, yeah, we we from a creative family. Were there any, you know, any direct links, any parents, of creative? No, or? not
1: at all. My, um, <clears throat> I, I always put down. I mean, I, you know, I think, um, I think, creative people are great observers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, something I always say to them. when I when I see, you know, my creative people at the agency walking around with headphones on and stuff like that and I know I'm going to sound like some old farce but I really don't mean it to be that but essentially you're cutting yourself off, you know inspiration is all around you and you have to keep feeding that creative soul so that you've got something that comes back out again and I think um, I, I was very lucky in that, you know, as I said my father was Irish and I, so I was born into a slightly Irish household but I was living in North London and so I would observe that and then I would have my friends who were friends neighbours whatever they might be and I'd be able to observe that and I had from a very early age I was able to see that there were differences or certain things that were done differently and Mm. people behaved in a slightly different way and I think that was a great advantage and as I say I, I, I do think great creative people are observers, they watch, they listen.
0: Um, I couldn't agree more.
1: And, and having that sort of sparked in me from a very early age, just, to, just seeing differences and observing, well, why do they do it like that and mm-hmm. they do it like this, or whatever it might be, helped enormously, I think, in um, you know uh, watching and listening and uh, being able to see how that could be funny or that wasn't. or And of course, that was that lovely... Use of language, Irish use of language, which was brilliant. Although I became an art director, but I I can always remember my. uh, We had a lovely old aunt who was from Cork who came to live with us. She was the most wonderful woman. She was a she was a genuine saint, but she would have these great little sayings like, you know, life's not worth living once you're dead. And (laughs) and I I can always remember my brother. Yeah, sorry, Nora. Good could you talk us through that one again, you know, (laughs) knowing what she was saying, it was was lovely that, you know, I mean, uh, and it was brilliant, and that that was great writing, you know, Mm. so you appreciated the use of words and the juxtaposition, you know, what made, you know, it's like, and and of course, so much writing is like that, you know, Um, and and I think being exposed to that at an early age Mm. was just, uh, was just wonderful,
0: really, so that, that, it it helps, but it doesn't, you know, I mean, I, I, I agree, and, to, and to, to contradict your point about the thing oh, I'm going to sound all right, no, I don't think so. I'm a part of a huge group of creative people who have very switched on to that, the danger of keeping your head down and missing the beautiful mm-hmm. details, and just the tiny nuances of what someone might say, and the, the more I go into this career, the more I really do now become consciously aware that that is really is feeling the subconscious, and as mm-hmm. you said, it, it that has to, that comes back out in the most wonderful ways, those where did that come from moments, you know, it's... Uh, there's always somewhere it came from and maybe you don't even need to know it's just the way your brain digest and regurgitates that yeah I was, once, I
1: was once going to give a talk on, on showing my work and showing how um, incidents that had happened to me overheard conversations had actually gone into my work and it was quite significant mm. and I was going to do a little presentation on it with some of the some of the things that I've done and so much of yourself obviously goes into your work. Well, that's kind of leads us to that wonderful thing I talk about, which is the definition of creativity. What is the definition of creativity? Now, there are many, you know, and I, and I think uh, uh, it was a friend said to me many, many years ago, a long time ago, he said, you know, music is the greatest of all art forms. And I said, "I mm, know. Oh, I don't think it is actually. I think it's the second greatest of all art forms. I think life is the greatest of all art forms. Therefore, you could define creativity. Or, therefore, we're all creative. You know, this idea that, you know, I'm often in meetings where people say to me, Oh, John, you're creative, so you make the decision. And I always (laughs) say to them, you know, well, look, we're all creative. It's just that I'm earning my living by it. But um, that sense of of then defining creativity. So then if you believe that, if you believe life is the greatest of all art forms, then you could define creativity as an expression of self. Mm-hmm. And I think my all my work really evolves from that belief that that is the definition of creativity. And mm-hmm. as I say when I'm talking about this to, to students, by and large, because I often give talks to students, therefore, and I don't care whether you're designing a swing ticket or you're writing a movie script or whether you're designing a building, you kind of go into it. It is an expression of you. And I think that's very, very important. And, and you know, if you hear great artists talking about their work, and I not, just don't mean, you know, I'm not talking about advertising people, I'm talking about, you know, a movie maker or a painter or a writer, or they talk about what they were trying to say, what they were trying to express. And I think even in, you know, in your own commercial work, that
0: is true as well. It's mm-hmm. completely true, it's all products of you to a degree yeah. I mean, I'm exploring that idea at the moment in, in, in personal right, in terms of stripping back why I might have made <clears> a certain <throat> way let's say at the age of 11 before I found any sense of self or identity or the ability to consciously recognise that then you can mirror that with any number of incidents in your professional life way down the line yeah, and that, once you find context for that and a way to channel it then I'm really am a you know, complete mm-hmm. proponent of that and I think it's so true And for that reason, for the same thing, when I talk to students, I tell them to don't look around and become overwhelmed with the sheer amount of creative talent. Just always remember that there can only be one you with that unique journey. And I think nail on the head what you said. Absolutely, yeah. And it goes down to the
1: work you produce. I always say, you know, people often say to you, oh, obviously you're really good at standing in the shoes of the consumer. And I say, no, I'm not. I've got no bloody idea how to stand in the shoes of the consumer. I'm not even sure I want to stand in the shoes of the consumer. But I do what I love. And obviously I do it with a kind of understanding of where it's going to run, who's going to talk to, naturally. But in the end, I do what I love. And if I'm lucky, what I love resonates with other people, just as you are if you're a novelist or a Mm. filmmaker or a painter, you know. Yeah. You know, a filmmaker doesn't get a brief. No, you know, and go. I want you to make a movie that's going to do this and talk to eighteen to twenty-four year olds or whatever it might be. They go and say, "I'd like to make a movie about this issue." You know, and it will maybe it will have a youth orientated feel to it, or it might, you know, or it might be a bit more sophisticated or whatever. however you want to define it, but basically, you're making what you want to make.
0: Yeah. If, was there was there a point? Was there a conscious point when you you may you mention know, mentioned the observational upbringing and recognizing uh, traits of Irish people in your family? Uh, was there a point when you, when you felt like this was an industry you wanted to go in that you, that you recognized the way you absorbed that might shape the path you took professionally? No, not really. I didn't.
1: I I was. You know, I've always said I was one of the lucky generation. We came out of. You know, I was born in 1944, so I was. Essentially, a, um, a, a post-war, a post-war kind of child, um, where you know opportunity was opening up, education was opening up. I was able to go to art school at the age of fourteen. You could go to Saturday morning art school, and I, I always liked the idea of it. I always thought being an artist was pretty cool. Mm. I don't know why. i, I just, you know, <laughs> but I just thought the idea of an artistic kind of existence was, was really interesting. And going to art school uh, at that age was just brilliant because I could do it on a Saturday morning and I got that real flavour and sense of, you know, what it offered up. And, and I think the other thing too that happens to you is you look at the people around you and you think, God, they're interesting. You know, they're fantastic. That's a, this is really good. So through being able to do that, I went on into art school. Um, but fortunately, or unfortunately... Was, was told that I probably wasn't going to be the next Picasso. <coughs> Which, as I say, by the time I was 16, was something of a disappointment, because I was unaware of the number of women that he was able to liaise with. <laughs> and, uh, but I loved ideas, and, and uh, I was advised to go to design school. So I went and studied graphic design. And I, went off, I was at Hornsey, and then I went to, I went to um, the London School of Printing. Uh, and studied printing there and design and graphic design and uh, but it because I loved ideas you know it was the thing that really turned me on I then met there this wonderful wonderful man called John Gillard who showed me the work of Dordain Birnbach which was then you know we're talking mid-sixties and of course it was at its at its peak uh, and I, I looked at this work for Volkswagen and Avis and all those famous campaigns and Levi's Jewish Bread and things like that. And I just thought, this is just, this is what I want to do, you know. Mm. And it was, it was about ideas, but it was witty, smart, uh, but it was inclusive. It didn't exclude, it included. And I, and I thought that was terrific. So it was whilst I was at the London culture Printing that I realized advertising was something I'd love to go into I always think it's funny, isn't it? You're surrounded by something, but you don't see it. Yes. You know. I mean, it's kind of, I, I, although having said that, I can always remember, people say to me, what was the very first ad you ever remember? And I remember actually, I must've been about seven or eight, and there was this poster for Guinness, and it said, Down with Guinness. And, I, and I, I went to my dad and I said, I don't understand, there's a, there's a poster on it telling you not to drink Guinness. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, it says down with Guinness. And he said, "Ah, oh, it's a joke, get it, down, drink down. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah. hey. You know, so maybe... That sort of at that age, something had gone in, but I didn't. I didn't then go. Oh, I'd like to go into that business.
0: No, well, yeah, I don't think I, I struggled to meet anyone that ever did. Everyone yeah. always says, "Oh, do you always want to be an illustrator?" No, it was the same thing as you. I was attracted yeah. to the idea of interesting people, interesting yeah. conversation, and you do just at some point, if we're fortunate enough, we meet those right mentors. Yeah, and absolutely, push us in the right yeah. direction, yeah. which is what you know people right. said to me why are you trying to draw in typography modules I was because I want to draw it's a good illustration and I did and that was it that was the big turning point you know yeah. uh, and well, it's, it's lovely that it's lovely getting those and, and I feel very sorry for people who don't get that who don't get that
1: moment in their life when they're kind of turned on something and, and it it just connects it really does connect and then of course you've got to find you know then you've got oh, I'm good at it Yes. Even though you appreciate it, I mean, listen. I love tennis. I mean, I adore tennis. But <laughs> there is absolutely no way ever, ever that I'm going to play at Wimbledon. Yeah, never was and never would, will be. Yeah. You know. But but so being enthusiastic about something doesn't mean to say you're necessarily going to be good at it. No. But without being enthusiastic, you won't be great at something.
0: Yes, of course. It's that passion and yeah. love that, that carries it, you. That, that carries, there carries you through. through. Yeah. Were you were you attracted to the capacity within advertising to work with many disciplines in terms of photography and artwork without necessarily needing to be good at them. I didn't really think about it like that. I just thought you were kind of working
1: in this profession where they loved ideas. They didn't necessarily love your ideas, of course. That was the other thing you find out. But I think when one got into it, you then not realize that you'd be working with photographers and illustrators and filmmakers and editors and all those wonderful people. It made it more and more interesting. Um, and, I, and as I say, you know, I came into the industry in the mid-60s. Um, and and it, was, it was actually a pretty, in many ways, it was quite a dull industry. You know, the 60s, the swinging 60s, hadn't quite happened in advertising. It didn't really happen in advertising until the 70s because... Large corporations really controlled advertising in the sense that they bought what it was producing. Mm. And getting them to understand that there was a whole new generation out there talking, thinking, being in a different way was not something that they were very um, open to. Whereas you know, in the 60s, music, fashion, art, filmmaking had all responded to this new youth culture that was, that was appearing. Mm. But advertising took a long time uh, to get there, and it really was the seventies that it it really yes. changed in advertising, and that was down really to Colin Dickinson Pierce.
0: Yeah. So. so what was your entry point? I mean, what what role did you go in at? As well, in
1: those days, you went in as a, a what they called a, a junior art director because you could no long you wouldn't be trusted with um, being able to go and do a job on your own. You had to be a junior art director and learn about all kinds of things like different, you know, I'm, I'm saying things here now which people think, what on earth is he talking about? You know, but with printing, with different screens and different things like that, you had to know. 65 screen was black and white newspapers. Mm. You know, 135 screen was, you know, colour magazines and shooting, taking pictures for that, making sure they reproduced in those different magazines and newspapers was crucially important. Um, understanding retouching, how to retouch something so that it it showed and it appeared, um, and you didn't destroy the integrity of the picture. But to learn
0: all those things, so that's how I I I got into. Yeah, it. and did you did you harbour ambitions of, of of working up, or was it an organic path to kind of to the No, world you I, really I
1: really didn't. I really I, didn't. My my ambition was to do great work. Mm. I never had an ambition to be. You know, a senior art director, and then from a senior art I might be a group head, and from a group head mm-hmm. I might be a creative director. No, not at all. In fact, far from it. I mean, the only thing that I was interested in was doing great work. Yeah. And I've always, you know, I've always let the work do the talking. You know, I've, I give me great we, encouragement. To the art. We always said BBH. You know, all, all, all roads lead to the work. Yeah. Um, great work solves everything. But also, I had a kind of philosophy of of you know, you know, people say do you have a five year plan and I go now I have a five minute plan. And I think the idea of, you know, saying I want to have my own agency is a kind of slight nonsense really because, you know, there you are at the age of twenty three, well, by the time you're you've got enough experience under your belt to maybe open an agency, maybe agencies aren't a thing anymore. So why have you committed yourself to Well, you know, so you know, I think living in the absolute now is, is, is something I think great creative people do I think they have that maintain and hold on to that sort of childish kind of I'm going to enjoy now I'm going to create for now I'm going to do something for this moment because this moment is the most important moment Yes, it's, it's absolutely crucial um, it's
0: very tricky I mean, You something that I think I'm pretty sure I really, either in your book or in an interview I forget which but you mentioned about the zero control of when you were born but actually the time when you were born being very important for your, you know, of course for your journey, but, and in today's fast-paced world, how much how big a part of creativity do you feel that is responding to, to, to that to the moment and to and to where things go off fast? Oh, I think it, it's the only answer, I, I think
1: it is the only way of doing everything, I mean, you know people often say to me, oh John, what do you think the future's going to hold, what's it going to be like, you've been in the agency for so long, you know, and I say so I have no idea, do, I will not make predictions. The only prediction I will make, and the only, the only thing I can control, is that if I make this idea truly brilliant, it will give me another I, I'll get the chance to do another idea tomorrow. Yes. And that's all you can do. And I, uh, you know, and I, you know, again, because I've been around for so long, I've heard so many predictions that have become, so, you know, when you look back at them now, you, you know, <laughs> you say, well, that was completely stupid. Yes, you know, um, like some guy who was running uh, one of the big internet companies saying, in in sort of '98 or something like that, television will all will all be over by you know within ten years. (laughs) It's a great prediction. You know who you are. (laughs) Do you remember making that prediction? I won't say who it was. (laughs) I I think it was something to do with Yahoo. Yeah. But anyway, we won't go further. But I mean, I think. You know, so uh, you know people who make predictions forget it. You know, futurologists are uh, the only the only thing you can be sure about futurologists is they're going to be wrong. (laughs) Um, And and you know we also live in this age of you know uh, big data where people say we're going to be able to predict you know how people are going to behave and what they're going to do and stuff like that. And I go, well, you know, if you believe that, if you've drunk that Kool Aid, then God bless you. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, you just hear so much rubbish spoken today. Sometimes I just have to shut up because I just think, oh, God, here we go again. Um, But as I say, the one prediction I will make and that the future is going to be creative, And that, that, you know, since I came into this industry, um, that has grown and grown and grown that the power of creativity is something that is being increasingly understood despite the fact that I think our industry at the moment is not particularly good at uh, developing great creative work but I think that's a sort of in, in the sort of fullness of time that's a kind of maybe slightly more than a blip but we will regain the kind mm. of need to produce outstanding work and engage with our audience and engage, entertain them, and involve them, and do all those things that you know great communication is about. That I, doesn't change.
0: I personally feel, well, I'm interested if you agree that there's. I know you're a huge advocate for reverence, which is I've been slightly obsessed with. Without ever knowing it, my entire life I was tra- attra- attracted to graphic activism from a youngish age in the industry, and always been fascinated by a message. Um, do you feel there's a lack of risk taking in today's industry? I think I think there is. I think we've.
1: I think there are. There's a lack of individuals in our industry today. Uh, and again, please, I'm not. I really, really am not that old bloke saying, "Oh, back when I was doing." But I think we had more renegades. We had more people who were trying to challenge the status quo. And and I think today what we have is are people who are technologically literate. <clears throat> but not communication wise yes and i and i and you know technology is absolutely important it, it, fundamental I mean you know I always say technology enables opportunity, but it's creativity that creates value and i and I think we've sort of got that slightly confused where you know people do think that the idea is in some way using a bit of technology not it's an idea and this is the best way to use that technology there's a sort of you know the the balance is is slightly wrong but fundamentally I think we will get back to it because in the end Mm -hmm. you know people want it yeah and and people say to me today you know I one of the things you get constantly said is, oh, the people have got time for to watch advertising anymore there's no you know it's too much stuff out there and they won't watch it, so I've got to find a way of tripping them up and, you know, with a bit of technology a bit of this. And I understand people saying that, but, you know, I, I tend to look at other creative industries and go, well, what are, the, what are they doing? You know, and I don't see architects going, oh, it's just too difficult now. I mean, too many buildings going up. You can't stand... <laughs> you no, know, nothing stands out anymore. People aren't interested. Mm. No, they've employed even more creativity, more kind of... Um, uh, building structures which are, are really distinctive and involving. You know, television doesn't go, that's it, nobody's watching television, so there's no point writing great stuff. No, they've gone out and employed even more creativity and lo and behold, what's happening.
0: It's a real golden age. People,
1: people, it's a golden age for television, Mr. Yahoo. You might remember that. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, it, it, and I think we've lost our faith in creativity. Because it's, it's, we've stood back and we're in awe of the technology, not, the technology's great, I love it, but actually we're delivering a message. How can I make that interesting and distinctive and memorable? Those mm-hmm. things, you know, one of my other little sayings is, you know, um, uh, 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 well, I've got so many little sayings, maybe I should save that one for later, actually. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we end up kind of misunderstanding in our industry, persuasion and promotion. So, you know, what we're in is a world where technology can promote because I can talk one-to-one to people. And um, they forget that actually you've got to persuade as well. And persuasion is the great art of advertising. I am, you know, a persuader. It's nothing. And persuasion is great. You know, persuasion is very good. I mean, virtually every conversation you have in some way or another is employing persuasion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you talk about your favorite football team with your, your best friend, you're, you're kind of going... No, I think mine seems much better. But the, you know, you're trying to persuade them. We shouldn't stand back from that. It's a very, very powerful and, and meaningful force, as long as it's carried out with integrity and openness and all of the things that mm. it should do, and it isn't divisive. Yeah. So I, I th- I'm a great believer that that we will kind of our industry, the communications industry, will kind of come back to kind of a greater employment, of mm. creativity, and not be sort of, you know, uh, awed by the complexity of what's out there. A great simple idea breaks through. You yeah. Know? I mean, it does break through. And that's the task of of, of our industry. That's what we are good at doing and that's what we should get back to doing in some way or another.
0: Mm. It, well, it's true. I mean, the technology wouldn't be there without the creativity. To, you know, the mind's behind it. Yeah. Um, well, well, it's kind of silly, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: fascinated with this thing and, you know, we... Somebody said, "I'm a creative technologist." I said, "What? What was that?" And I, they couldn't really explain it to me. Actually. I didn't <laughs> actually understand it. You know, <laughs> a creative technologist. Interesting. You know, but we have created these kind of titles for people. Where we put creativity next to the technology, <laughs> and think that's it. That's the future. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did
0: you famously you've? Worked on a lot of groundbreaking campaigns over the years, and um, did did you? How did you deal with resistance? Did you did you often have to fight to to get your ideas over the line? I
1: think you do. I, th- I think there's no, you know, the idea that you sit there and kind of you know people willingly take every scrap of paper off your off your <laughs> drawing board and take it, rush it to the client to say this is genius. I think you have to fight for what you believe in. I think first of all you fight for. Uh, the right to work on the accounts that you like and want to work on. I mean, there's an element of that. And you find yourself kind of being drawn towards certain things because of your belief. Go back to my thing about creativity as an expression of self. I'd like to work on that. But I've never excluded things. I've never kind of gone, you know... You know, people have always said to me, do you, you know, what's the account you most want to work on? You know, thinking you're going to say something like, you know, Nike or Levi's or you know, Ferrari or something like that. I said, you know, really, the account I really want to work on is the account that wants to change the way that industry is seen or believed uh-huh. in. So, if somebody came to me and said, you know, I manufacture nuts and bolts, but I want to change the way people feel about nuts and bolts because they hold the world together, whatever. That's the account I want to work. on. Yes. So that, that's the first thing, you want to work on things where people want to make a change, that's, what, that's what's exciting. Mm-hmm. But you've got to, you, you've got to kind of surround yourself then with people who want to do the kind of things you want to do. And I, I, was, I was very lucky with John, John Bartle and Nigel Bogle and that we had come together in 73 in uh, running the London office of TVWA and realised we had a great respect for each other and kind of wanted to do this sort of same sort of work you know John was a planner Nigel was a, an account man I was the creative guy and we, we sort of loved we all sort of loved the same work it'd be like it, you know being in a band and, and somebody wants it to be a rock and roll band and somebody else comes in and says no I'd like to do a bit of country music or something and you go well, yes. well that's not what we do we're a rock and roll band you know you've, so you've got to have People around you who believe in similar things to you it doesn't mean say you agree on everything because that would be rather boring. But you actually believe in in the sort of the ethics and the the, the same things as, as each other, mm-hmm. and then you can have a constructive relationship. But you've still got to within that you, you're you're still going to have to fight for individual pieces and people doubting what you're doing. I mean, I remember when we were we sort of got the brief to sort of change the Levi's hero. And um, we, were, we were sort of talking about, well, maybe it should be about a relationship now rather than just a single person, you know, looking cool and groovy and all those cliches. And uh, and we were sort of looking at relationships and I thought they all were pretty boring to me. and I sort of came up with the idea of using this yellow puppet that became... Flat Eric, And and at that time, everybody thought I had gone mad. (laughs) John, are you sure? I mean, you know, this is Levi's. I said, no, 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 this will be great. This will be great. So you have to have faith in what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, And if you don't... And and that's one of the great difficulties, I think, about following a creative career is this thing of holding on to kind of uh, your confidence. You know, you've got to be fearless. Because... you're you're not trying to recreate what you've done before. I mean, especially in our industry, you've got to come in every day and have a new idea. And that idea can't be like yesterday's idea. So it's a really relentlessly creative environment you're in, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And and what you can't do is you can't just go, oh, what I normally do is that, uh, and I'll keep doing that. You've really got to break the mold and move on and try something different. And I knew that, but you don't know. Ultimately, you don't... I mean, you know, what then became flat earth could have been a yeah. disaster of people looking at yeah. what the
0: hell have you done? But you have to be prepared to, to break them all, don't you? Yeah. And, and, and try it. If you believe, like you said, if you believe in it, it's, I, I feel so many people probably in those shoes when they have that idea, but feel like they're in an environment when they have to keep the status quo and don't do that, and, and um, that's when you don't move forward.
1: And you've got to... You know, you really got to push, you really, really got to push and and as I say, fearlessness becomes a a very important component of maintaining a great creative career. You've just got to be prepared to challenge your own thinking, challenge what you've done before, um, and then possibly risk if it goes wrong. Because you know, it can go wrong. People go. Oh, it's all over. John's done that. Oh my God, that was dreadful. <laughs> Maybe he's over the top now. You know, don't know really. You know, I mean that's the sort of the, the, the sort of harshness of a creative career because it's a very difficult. Yeah, it's a very difficult career path. Well, certainly in our industry, it, it, it is certainly the way we work. I mean, I think it might be in you know if you're a fashion designer or if you're trying to be you know a filmmaker. Whatever it is, it, you, you can't just go on repeating what you've done before. I mean, some people do. I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock went on making thrillers, but you know, you, you know, Mick Jagger can go around the world and sing "Jumping Jack Flash," and you know, written in 1968, and thirty thousand people turn up and applaud. Yeah, you can't get out an old script you had in 1968. Think, I think mean, this is the answer. Yeah, No, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, nah, it's not yeah. going to work. <laughs> and it's very hard. That
0: how uh, how do you feel about res- responsive advertising? And there's an example that I saw that I want to kind of use to illustrate my point. It was, an, of all things, it was an Aldi advertisement recently, and uh, it blew me away. And it was when the Stone Roses sort of, uh, they went to announce the, the, a new set of gigs, and you know the iconic lemon from the first album cover. So that all these fly posters popped up around Manchester with the lemon. And of course, every Stone Roses fan was frothing at their mouth, seeing these lemons, knew exactly what was coming. Um, and the very next day Aldi campaign on the LED screen simply the same photograph of a lemon face on 29p at the bottom and, I, and, and it went completely viral and, and, and I, again everyone was just slow pause and I read a number of articles saying this illustrates the, the importance of giving advertisers the freedom to act upon things at short notice like that, would you agree? Yeah absolutely, I mean
1: it, we, we used to call that topical advertising and there'd always been a kind of a bit of the budget where you could go. We've seen this amazing thing that's happened, and uh, you know, and, and we can use that to promote this. I mean, you know, we did a lovely one for um, when Margaret Thatcher died, and we did um, uh, uh, an ad for Marmite, and it was just, um, and it was it was an ad for the Guardian, but we just took the Marmite pot, we just put Margaret, you know, and it was about you love or I hate her. And uh, it was a wonderful way, I mean, obviously a newspaper is topical, but I think that sort of advertising is great, actually. I mean, but the only thing is that that you, you know, it's it's an addition to what you do. The brand has got to be there, it's got to be respected, and therefore you will respect the fact that they're now acting topically. But I think it illustrates a very good point that people have forgotten, is that part of what you're trying to do with advertising is be culturally important. You're trying to make your brand, your product, whatever it might be, to be very much a part of society, a part of today. And if it is that, then it's more likely to be bought and purchased and valued. Yeah. And, I, and I think we've sort of forgotten that a little bit, that, that, that part of advertising, where advertising is a part of culture. Um, I mean, certainly was the case in the 80s, very much so. I mean, people talked about the advertising. I don't think people talk about advertising in the way they used to. And that's because I think we've withdrawn from that element of having a conversation with the population at large. And that goes back to kind of the need to broadcast. You know, that was a broad... that, That sort of Stone Roses idea was a broadcast idea. Yes. Um, and it's because you knew they'd seen it you'd seen it it goes up in a public place and everybody can then respond to it and smile they know their friends seen it oh that was great wasn't it yes. yeah I know what you're talking about wasn't that wonderful and yeah. I think that's an element of broadcast that we 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 forget there are many yeah. elements of broadcast which are valuable but that in particular is one of them and I think that, that sort of topicality and it also makes you look as though you're a you're a brand that's of today, it's of the moment, you know, and so it's relevant, it's important, it's what I should be partaking of.
0: Completely, yeah, and I guess there's always something to be said there also about their, pe- you know, their position in the supermarket world, in that they are probably, you know, maybe bottom quarter in respect of Walmart and Asda and, and the rest of it, so they, there's a certain freedom in that disadvantage, well perceived disadvantage at least, mm-hmm. but there is a certain, uh, you know, there's, there's room for play there, I think, that you can do a little more at times. Have you got any standout examples of of disadvantage that you've flipped, that you've turned into a huge advantage? Um, Well, I think
1: so much advertising is is doing that. You know, you look at something and I'm immediately trying to think of something. But I mean, I I, I think, you know, turning a problem into an opportunity is, is something that a lot of advertising really looks to do I mean you know I I think in terms of strategy for instance when um, you know we launched Boddington's um, down here in the south and Boddington's was a Manchester beer thick creamy head um, and you know down in the south when we were launching it down here people in the south of England don't like beer with thick creamy heads but Boddington's did so instead of actually saying well let's ignore that no, let's turn it into a kind of uh, an opportunity, I and mean, we created the name, you know, the, the, the Boddingtons Cream of Manchester, I and mean, we actually focused on the creaminess of it, and actually it worked, um, it worked hugely well. Mm. Um, you know, I suppose you could look at Volkswagen's technique. You know, this it's, it's kind of, you know, it was a German car. We were very proud of the fact that it was a German car. Most people didn't know Audi was a German car; they thought it was made in. This is back in early 80s they thought it was made in somewhere like Belgium or somewhere like that mm-hmm. so we had this which came from the factory this, the slogan technique. and and what you know some people research said don't do it whatever you do because it's emphasizing its germanness and we said no no we are german well you know we're going to make use of that but i remember a famous one i did when i was at tvwa that sadly never got never got made and i did it with a wonderful writer called neil patterson and we were working on um, Erin Foods, and at that time, this is in the 70s now. Erin Foods were an Irish food company, dried uh, dried vegetables and things like that. You rehydrated them, so it was a way of instead of frozen, you could you could uh, get your vegetables this way. And they were bringing out a a soup, <coughs> a cup a cup soup made in a cup. And up to that moment, they'd all been fairly wishy-washy and thin and that and so Arian had done their research and it said you know that they had made is a much thicker soup it's more substance to it and um, and of course they did all their research and it came back to say well this is really good and you've got to tell people you're Irish mm. because people think you know green and lovely and launching here and so this is the mid 70s of course and <laughs> okay we've got to do an ad saying this is a, 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 a thick soup and it's from Ireland. And, and you kind of go, no, got, we've got to confront this problem. And uh, so we came up with a great line, which was, um, the Irish are smart, it's their soup that's thick. Um, <laughs> and that was... Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, but sadly, it never got launched, which was a great show. And did that with a wonderful writer called Neil Patterson. <laughs> Neil and I had a great fun doing that. So, you know, I always think actually a lot of, you know, a lot of advertising is, a lot of communication is confronting what seems to be a problem, yes, uh, and turning that problem into an advantage.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: uh, I mean, Volkswagen famously did that. You know, it's it's ugly, but
0: it works. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I, I just have huge admiration for the balls to, to run with the German and, and trust mm-hmm. the fin- the beautiful phonetics of that of yeah. that statement. No, yeah, you know, very much just, so, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Do you um do you think we can ever? And I. I I'm not sure. Do you think we can ever fully break the mentality that creativity is not just playing around? And I'm talking, of course I'm talking in terms of governments and parents and the people that provide resistance to, let's say, children. who You know, the reason we sort of drop that innocence of play at a young age when we get into education. Do you think we can ever fully break that or do you think maybe it doesn't need to be broken?
1: Well, we, uh, you know, when I went to art school, I mean, it really was seen as, well, I suppose we ought to let a few people go to art school. They might end up painting a nice picture, and <laughs> culture is vaguely important, so let's, do them. Let, let, let's let them do that. I do think over the last, blimey, 50-odd years, people have become more aware of the value of a creative education. And I think... <laughs> The sort of funny thing, and the bizarre thing is, I think the downside of that is they're trying to constrain it much more. They're trying to control it. Oh, there it is! A, it is kind of wonderful. Therefore, now how can we control it more? Yeah. As opposed to, in a sense, going that's great, liberate it. You know, mm. keep liberating it. And um, that's my only fear. I mean, you then get you know past ministers of education like Gove who create a, a, a curriculum and creativity isn't on it. And despite the fact that, you know, the Minister of Trade is saying, you know, the creative industries are now, you know, 10% of our economy. Uh, and then in, you know, down the table in the cabinet, you've got the Minister of Education going, and oh, we're going to take creativity out of the curriculum. <laughs> I mean, you just think, do these people ever talk to each other? Do they ever actually meet? <laughs> you know, you just said that. you. Di- I mean, you don't have to be a genius to go, these things are not are not reconciling themselves but I I sort of go my worry today about the creative education is that we are trying to formalize it much more I mean today you know when I went to art school you didn't have to have 50 levels or 2a levels or whatever it is or whatever they whereas now you've got to have a formal education before you can get into art school and I do think that's in danger of excluding people who think completely differently, which is the wonderful thing that creativity is there to encourage. You're really there to encourage a very lateral way of thinking. And often those people aren't people who do well in a conventional educational structure. So, you know, the very thing that we want, we're now discouraging. Because we're trying to formalize it. And I think that's a great tragedy.
0: That's a great tragedy. And then what you get at the other end of the scale, which I'm starting to see now, without I'm going too far down that track, from lecturers that I speak for now at colleges, my own former lecturers are in a moral conundrum where because of the tuition fees. I've seen, I know some instances where the interview process has been abandoned completely, so there's a moral conundrum there now because maybe someone who might be turned away at the door, so to speak, or maybe they feel it's not for them, they're almost under a lot of pressure to let them in. And then, what does that mean at the other end? When you've got maybe a higher volume of people that don't, you know, never maybe never stood a chance of, of yeah. doing this. Yeah, they can pay the
1: fees, but they can't. They can't necessarily the do the work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Don't turn a customer away. I think it is. I, I, you know, it's an enormous subject. But I, I, again, I, I think we're failing somewhat to be to be kind of responsive to what people want. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a sort of Um, there is a theory about, you know, evolution is a natural process, so therefore you've got to let the natural processes, maybe in education and other things, come up, you know, Mm. it comes from down, up, not up, down. Um, And I think with education we should be, you know, encouraging more people to be educated, but not trying to prescribe how and what they're taught. Let's, let, let let's let them learn yeah,
0: yeah. it's an appreciation yeah. Of, of, yeah.
1: of freedom I mean you know the Rolling Stones went to art school or some of them did and, uh, Keith Richards did but he didn't go to art school to learn how to play guitar no I didn't even got
0: the go. illustration to learn how to do this yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he
1: got there because the art school system opened his mind his eyes inspired him surrounded with pe- him with people who were really interesting. yeah and uh, he found his way through that mm.
0: Maybe, yeah. yeah I mean, John yeah. Lennon went to, went to art school, you know, but... Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah, it's a facilitator. Um, so, th- I mean, in my shoes, I'm an sort of, you know, illustrator, I, I do a lot of I mean, increasing amounts of work in creative direction you now, and, and keep expanding. How do you feel about the role of agents? I mean, I'm represented by illustration who actually put me in touch through Alex who came to see you and um, Mm. how do you feel about because I know at the minute a lot of creators feel there are more kind of land grabs for intellectual property rights with the advent of digital it's opened up a lot more grey areas for both sides Um, do you feel agents have got an important role to play in in making sure that that is done fairly yeah I think um,
1: you know I think any creative person needs a good kind of agent however you want to define them around them I mean we've talked about music and I, I tend to think of them like great managers you know mm-hmm. I mean you can look at you know Brian Epstein and the Beatles you can look at Andrew Lou Goldham and the Rolling Stones and how they helped and guided them and and looked after the, their assets so to speak whilst they went off and um, uh, uh, and created and, and there's a wonderful Documentary on that, and it's called Hotel California, and it's when the music industry in America in the sort of late '60s, mid to late '60s, moved from New York to California, and, and I think it was David Geffen who who got all these artists who were badly managed and said to them, you, "Look, I will sort your contracts now. I'll make sure you're fairly paid, and and you just go away and write." great stuff that's your job my job mm. is to negotiate on your behalf and I think
0: you you need that you know I mean I yeah. think it's very
1: hard for creative people to do it for themselves
0: and do you think I know you're a patron of the association of Illustrators. Mm. do you think government bodies and then agencies like that do you think the unity is important to protect intellectual property rights for the smaller end of the scale yeah I do my only
1: my you know the downside of it is they, they become a bit sort of um, institutionalized in their response to things are not fluid and open and understanding, um, you know. And I, 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 whether I'm right in this or not, but I feel that photography got somewhat stuffed because photographers discovered in the sort of mid to the late 80s that actually um, they could be commissioned to take a photograph and then. They could also, because they owned the copyright of it, there was a piece of European law that came out that protected the owner of a piece of artwork, and this then applied to commercial photographers. So they were able to negotiate a fee to take the picture, and then usage. And you kind of go, well, hold on, you've just been paid to take the picture. Usage is a part of that. Why have you... And, and the cost of photography grew so high, that clients soon sought other ways mm. of creating the picture. So, you know, I, I, this is my view, not everybody will agree with me, but I think in a way it, it kind of worked for a while and then I think in, ultimately it shot them in the foot. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, and, and I used to say, well, a director doesn't get residual rights. You know, you make a commercial the director doesn't get the rights. If I show it in France and Germany as well as the UK, why should a photographer... Mm-hmm. You, know, what, you know what you you know you've been you've been paid to do the job it's a paid job mm-hmm. uh, I, I think there's a, it, it, I think it's an area that people need to be open about and honest about yeah and to make sure that you're not reducing your opportunities to do great things. Yes, I think it's really I, and I think there could be, you know, one wants a more fluid approach to it rather than a rigid approach. And my worry about institutions is they become rigid. Yes. They don't, you know, they don't think about individuals and responsiveness. Yeah. The world is changing and, you know... I mean, you know, Yeah, people. you
0: have to take care of all parts, do you make yeah. yeah. sure that you understand yeah. everyone's position. And on the other hand, I don't want to see artists exploited. Yes, of course, yeah, I want to see
1: lots of them being used, lots of them being given opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's um, open conversations. And honestly, yeah. we all yeah, yeah. no make that happen. I think. So where do we find you now? I mean, we're in the, the garage, Soho today. Can
1: we tell well, us I'm doing of lots of things now. I, I'm, I'm still part of BBH. Um, I'm sort of, uh, I take a sort of titular role, as they say, or as my son said, Dad. Basically, you're a mascot. <laughs> To which actually, if you look up mascot in the, in the dictionary, it's actually quite an esteemed, you know, the yeah. meaning of the word is not some sort of just an object that you pull out and point at and go, oh, look, that's our mascot. It is actually very important. Um, so I'm, I, I, I do an element of that. and We've got a brilliant global ECD now, Pella Chanel, who's running the agency, who I think is absolutely fantastic. And so I love working with Pedder on various bits and pieces. And then I'm here at what we call the garage in Soho, uh, incubating new business ideas, helping them grow, helping them come into being, helping them Mm. develop. Uh, And as we say here, you know, don't start a business, build a brand, uh, because that's where value will ultimately lie. So that's what I'm doing along with all the other things I do, as well as own a vineyard for my sins. (laughs) <laughs> making making wine I always say you know my joke is I, I, I now have God as one of my partners bad move bad move you know never turns up doesn't answer emails you know yeah. made the world in six days and took the seventh off oh yeah yeah. come down to my vineyard and see what he's done you know yeah, definitely not, not oh, no no I think I get him under the <laughs> trade description there I thought I'd actually have a headline Hegarty fires God <laughs> fantastic
0: This is a bit of a slightly personally indulgent question, but how do you feel about the hands role in in creativity today in terms of organic produced stuff because we went through a very digital time and there will always be a balance of course Mm. but I feel there's a a slight renaissance at the moment for craft and and, and technology facilitates that now in a wonderful way when you bring those two extremes together Mm.
1: Well I'm a great believer in craft and of of course how we define craft changes. Craft in a digital world is slightly different to craft in a handmade world. But I do think we're seeing people with the desire to pick things up and touch them and feel them Mm. and smell them and and to know that there is a maker's hand here. But I don't think that's a kind of uh, in opposition to what happens in the digital world. I think the craft of... You know, you look at some things now that are being made, and the craft in them is just phenomenal <clears throat> in terms of production. I just watched um, the Man in the High Castle, and uh, I thought the art direction in that, and obviously the CGI, was just absolutely brilliant. And then you get the lovely thing of the craft of sim- shooting a simple movie, for instance, where you know that it was lit like that, and, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think that is lovely. I, so I don't, I don't. Have you know prefer one to the other, but I am pleased that I, I, I mean secretly deep down when I read that you know books were coming back, and the Kindle wasn't selling so well, yeah, not that I am anti the Kindle, and I, I actually have one, but you know you, you sort of go isn 't it lovely to hold something and yes and it has all kinds of advantages, and I think people are rediscovering that yeah, so that 's lovely i mean yeah and, and um, um, I forgot his name now. It's shocking. He had a, he's a, a letterpress printer, and um, he had an exhibition on the um, uh, gallery down just on on south, um, on the south bank um, and Kitchen something Robert Kitchen is it Robert Kitchen Robert Kitchen something Kitchen, and it was brilliant. He does he, he, he's letterpress printer, and it was beautiful. Um, it was just absolutely fantastic. Somerset House, it was at Somerset House. And uh, if you go online and look it up, letterpress printing, Somerset House. It was wonderful, and you just wanted to have, own them because they mm. you know, they're beautifully
0: done. I, my mind is currently raging with um, fusions of all lights. I'm just in love with that metal lady 3D printing. And, mm. and for the marketing, for the show, actually, it gave me a great freedom. Uh, because the spotlight was on my guest and not me, to really p- do something quite different to my sort of normal spirit of style. And uh, I commissioned it to 3D print my head with mm. phones. And then I set up a whole set and painted quite robustly into that with inks and paint and, and how the, the paint melded into the, the digital lines and the way that the print was. Just so much fun exploring that and, and playing and bringing this highly digital process together. yet yeah, a real analog output, I'm just it was some of the best responses I've had for a long time from creative directors when I put that in front of them and it's just so much fun and passion going in there, you know? Well,
1: it's, you know, we have that, and I often quote this one, it's a lovely line, it's that we're all artists, but some of us shouldn't exhibit, you know? (laughs) And I think that this belief that everybody can do everything is is a nonsense. Um, But, uh, you know, yes, as I started out saying, we're all creative, but, you know... some of us shouldn't exhibit, really. And I think understanding craft is very important. Whatever that, whatever industry you're in, you know, if you're a CGI artist, then the craft in doing that is crucially important. Yes. You know, the craft of building uh, a website is fundamentally important. You know, the craft of letterpress printing is fundamentally important, or painting is fundamentally important. This belief that craft wasn't important anymore is just so stupid,
0: it's the sort of things you get people saying which you mm-hmm. think, oh god, another idiot's in the room, you know. I've got a question, I started working with a close friend, and you mentioned about you and the sort of three partners at BBH, and the way that you are, you felt synchronicity and, and that right connection of minds, I have that with a very close friend where it's unique, better than anyone I've ever met, When I when, in terms of the way our minds do melt. And we haven't put a vehicle on what we're doing, we're working very collaboratively, very exploratively, separate from what we're known for, and the, the results are thrilling me at the moment. And everyone's telling me not to go with the name that we want to call the project, Bollock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of me, and having read the thing about the irreverence that you talk about in your book, mm. and I've always had that within me really wants to do it, and people are saying no, and I understand why they're saying no, but it's the pl- it's almost the the devil in me, the child in me, that wants to confront people with that. Mm. How do you feel? Do you well, I, do I you think, think in the end, I, you know, the first first
1: lesson of marketing is to be remembered. Then you've got to say, was I remembered in the right way? <laughs> and that's up to you to decide. But I, I th- my, my feeling of it is that, you know... Um, being kind of outrageous is fundamentally... I, I like it uh, because it challenges it. It, yeah. it kind of makes people sit up and take notice. Um, whether Bollock Johnson is that,
0: I'm, that, if you feel passionately about it, then do it. So it's the instinctive yeah. warming of my soul that I get from it. But not just that, but also... And I said this to my girlfriend. I said, what I want you to understand is that the work will drive and I have such belief and, and, and love... And of this work what we're doing and it's zero we're doing it for the passion yeah we down the line it'd be wonderful if we could monetize that but right now we're just having such fun and I believe that the work we're going to do will stand out enough so that that becomes secondary and therefore I almost want to attract people to it so they can't ignore the work and then make them go with the company that's called that yeah well I think do it
1: I mean I do it I mean that's that? It. I, feel like and I
0: think that if you
1: don't do it you'll come, you'll, 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 you will forever regret yeah, that you absolutely. didn't do it so the question there is definitely
0: do it yes. yes I think so I'm quite used to that. <laughs> but oh, yeah goodness. that's it I was going to do it well, regardless. regardless but then it, it is it's that that's what we want that to represent You know? it's, an, it's not a joke it's not an in-joke it's not something <laughs> going to occur, it's, it's an essence and anyway I could go on all day but that, um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you that because I do uh, very much respect your opinion Brilliant. Um, and the very very last question I always ask my guests I ask them for and it's a very lateral question uh, a positive and a negative or a love and a hate within the realm of creativity wide open question and Could be off today. Could be an all-time thing. It's there's no wrong or right. You know,
1: I I, I never dwell on on what's wrong. What's the point? There's so much that's wrong out there. My my thing is dwell on positivity, dwell on what's right, and and spend your time surrounding yourself with that. And I and I think in that my 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 love is the fact that creativity is now much more. It's a far more democratised industry in the sense that more and more people feel they can do it. And that gives me great excitement for the future. Mm-hmm. Hate is a negative word.
0: John, that's been wonderful. and I really and appreciate it. Thank you very much. Great stuff.
1: Lovely chatting to you.
0: Thank you so much to Sir John Hegarty for giving me that most inspiring hour of his time. I'm sure he inspires people on a daily basis. I'm not going to drum the word into the ground, but it really sent me away in a in a whirlwind of, of possibility and just just believing um, what I trust in my instincts. The stuff that you find hard to articulate when you get that warm feeling in your soul and your heart and you know you just have to do it. For example, calling your new creative collaboration, Bollock Johnson. What did you think of that? Man, every single person has told me not to go ahead with naming my collaboration with photographer and illustrator Danny Allison and Bollock Johnson, but you know what? Bollock is actually spelled B-O-L-O-K, and I've known people with that surname. Rather unfortunate, but you know what? We wanted to run with it, and we wanted to try and challenge people, and we hope that the work we're working on is going to be so out there and so kind of personal to us that it's going to resonate with people. And if they want that stuff... (laughs) then the name isn't going to deter them, so it's pretty playful, it's pretty, pretty reverent, a big theme of what John and I talked about, and I hope you agreed that we need more risk, we need more individuals, we need more punk attitude in the creative industries, need people to basically stop worrying too much about social media likes and shares, and concentrate more on doing something that's that they love that's going to resonate with large numbers of people for the right reasons. doesn't mean it can't be commercial, but I just think we have to challenge our clients a little bit more. The amount of people who try to push me down a safe road with a lot of my jobs. Um, and they're quite susceptible. They're quite open to being talked around. I get them on the phone and I say, look, this has been done before. We ha- We have to think of something more innovative that can get you across better here. And most people are open to that. So, you know, do that. Do what you need to do. Find a way to get it out there and make money and just love the work you're doing. I could go on all day about what that interview did to me, but I feel really fired up at the moment, and that's thanks to Sir John Hegarty. So thank you so much. Thanks to my wonderful sponsors, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk, and printed.com. Thanks again to the Association of Illustrators for the ongoing support. Um, go and check them out, the aoi.com. Thanks to last week's guest, uh, Katie Dominey of Arts Thread. Uh, and we've and got so many amazing guests coming up. We've got Annie Atkins, Grand Budapest Hotel graphic designer, production designer in film. She's incredible. Lovely lady. Um, we've got Neil Bennett of Digital Arts coming up. Uh, we've got Rebecca Hendin, BuzzFeed Illustrator. It's all going on. Thanks for your support. Please do share. Hit me up on the Twitter at Arrest All Mimics. Drop me an email if you want to talk personally. Hello at com. And please do spread the love. Drop me a review on iTunes for Arrest All Mimics podcast. Loving doing this stuff. We're 75 episodes in. We're starting to hit the home straight towards the Big Magic 100, and I want all you guys on board. So tell your mates, tell your family, get tuning in and listen. Uh, cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week, stay. stay. Stay creative and we'll chat very soon.